Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. On today's show, we have Kathy Baruch, Executive Director of Pause for Life, and Lisa Allison, currently board a member of Pause for Life, right here in the studio today. Not only are you going to learn about Pause for Life, they're going to speak about the importance of collaboration and how they have navigated through overcoming barriers to further strengthen their new nonprofit. You're going to enjoy today's show. Welcome, everybody. This is Rob Harder at the Nonprofit Leadership Show, Making Your World Better. And today in the studio, we have Kathy Baruch, uh, who is the Executive Director of Pause for Life. And we have Lisa Allison, a recent board member. Many know Lisa here in Park City. We are really glad to have them in the studio today. Tell us a little bit about Pause for Life. Why is it such an important organization? And what does it do here in Utah and throughout this region? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. We're really excited about being here today. Um, I can tell you that Pause for Life was founded recently in 2012 because we had a need in the Heber Valley for an advocate to make the animal shelter no-kill. And we had recently been participating with another organization that cut off funding for the program, so I said, hey, let's keep the same team, start our own volunteer-run nonprofit organization. And since that time, we've built our organization up to rescuing dogs and cats throughout the state, up to 1,000 animals per year. So this may be a dumb question, but tell us about no-kill. Why is that so important that you're that type of shelter? Well, I don't think anybody that's an, an animal advocate would, would think that it would be necessary in today's date and time that we have to euthanize animals just because there aren't homes that are available for them. The, the biggest challenges that we have in becoming no-kill, and, and we address these every day, are really around uh, medical needs and animals that may have behavioral issues that need to be trained. And those are the two major things that we really focus on as a rescue now throughout the state since we've made the Heber Valley and the Heber Shelter No-Kill. Those are the things that our organization, you know, it's real easy to adopt, off a, adopt out a Buffy and a Fluffy and a sweet, you know, uh, Himalayan cat. But when you have those that have medical needs, behavioral issues and things like that, that's when the going gets tough. And for us, those animals deserve a second chance. Excellent. And Lisa Allison, you've been involved with a lot of different nonprofits. Why have you recently jumped into this specific nonprofit as a board member? Kathy and I have known each other for several years. And when more of my time became more available, I started working behind the scenes with them. And she said to me, will you take the leap and formally formalize our relationship and become a board member? So I took that leap and became a board member. Excellent. So what separates Paws for Life perhaps from other uh, you know, animal-focused uh, organizations and nonprofits throughout the state? Or what maybe brings it together so it uh, maybe comes alongside other uh, nonprofits that have similar missions? Well, there are some other organizations in the state that are volunteer-based that don't have big brick-and-mortar facilities like ours. We don't. Um, we rely on our volunteers. We have, our, we have over 200 volunteers in Paws for Life, many of which um, foster our animals. We do have a couple of boarding facilities. And I think the most important distinction is that none of us are paid. Um, that's, that's one big distinction. So no staff at all? Period. We have only one part-time person that actually has to be at the animal shelter on the two 
two days per week and holidays when they're closed. And he comes in, he's a computer programmer and works for a very nominal wage, so he certainly doesn't do it for the money. But we need to have him on staff there to take care of the animals on the days they're closed. And until they get the staff, we, we're going to cover that. And do you envision eventually hiring staff, or do you like to make this volunteer-driven for the next 10, 15 years? I will say from a management perspective, it's sometimes a challenge to, to channel volunteers with the passion that we all have. But I really believe that there are enough animal advocates in uh, our communities that we do not have to have paid staff. So no, I don't envision that in the future. I think we're, we're, uh, we're accomplishing our mission without having to do that. And it makes us even more uh, important. I, I think if I was going to donate or sponsor an organization, I'd rather see them spending their money towards helping animals because that's where the that's where the the, the uh, uh, decisions are made for the particular organization I'd rather see their allocations going there than to pay staff or have you know a fancy building or something like that so what's well, a brings a good point with nonprofits first of all what do you and maybe I'll ask you Lisa what do you think is the most important role of a nonprofit why are they so important for our communities I think it speaks to a lot of different needs that they service um, you know, the question always gets asked, do we have too many, particularly in Park City? Exactly. We have over 80, right? right. So that's a lot of nonprofits for a small community. Right. And I think that question goes back to what needs are being met. And there's so many needs that are, are being met. People talk about um, what needs are critical and what needs are less critical. And if you look at the bigger issue um, of, you know, do we have homelessness? Do we have poverty? Do we have hunger? I think the, the bigger question, if you look um, from a top-down view, is there are fundamental, fundamental issues with how social change occurs. And that affects the functionality of organizations. And that's really the issue, not if there are too many or too few, but how we can affect change. So you feel like as long as there's social change needed, nonprofits can really make, kind of fit that gap and, and meet those needs, and they're therefore necessary. Exactly. Okay, good. What are the traits in your mind? Either one of you can speak to this or both of you can. What are the, the healthy traits of a nonprofit? Like what really separates healthy nonprofits from others? Well, I think the, they have to be financially stable for one thing. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and they have to be able to deal with uncertain you know, we have a lot of things that come up that you can't plan for that are unpredictable. So you need to have enough financial reserves to deal with those types of things. I think that's really critical. I think you need teamwork and you need trust. Um, you need those core values within the people within your organization so that you know you're all on the same page and you can count on one another because you're all, a lot of times out making decisions and running around doing things that you know um, are, you're in charge of. So having some common core values is a real important distinction, I think, with, with uh, nonprofit success. Great point. How about you, Lisa? What would you say? Well, I think everybody looks at you know financials, what makes you healthy, and everybody looks at different models as what makes you financially healthy. You know, there are ratios of liquid assets to short-term liabilities, and you know you should have three months of cash and working capital, and that makes you healthy. Or you should have two-thirds of your reserve you know, of your budget in reserve. I, I think budgets are very important. Um, you absolutely should have a budget, and you should stick to it. You know, having a budget and just not paying attention to it obviously doesn't make you healthy. But is there support for your mission in the community? If nobody supports you or understands what you do, you're obviously not healthy. And finally is be timely. Be timely in filing your paperwork, whether that be expense reports, whether that be financials, and be timely in thanking people, donors, 
volunteers. Uh, I think those are critical things that speak to the health of any organization. That's a great point. And then that kind of leads into the challenges that nonprofits face. What do you think are right now currently the biggest challenges that every nonprofit faces, regardless if it's Utah or some other state in this country, or whether it be animal focused or some other humanitarian nonprofit? What are the biggest challenges you think that are facing nonprofits right now? I think it's primarily generating continued support for your organization, branching out. As the needs expand for your group, um, I know in our particular case, we're, we're growing year to year like 70%. And with that comes you know even more financial needs. So you're continually expanding uh, your donor base, um, your, your grant writing, uh, all of those things, uh, the number of volunteers that you need. So that continuing to, I guess, say solicit or recruit or uh, bring on board new people and new, new patrons to your organization, I think is a big one Absolutely. for everybody. How about you, Lisa? I think everybody looks to resources. You know, there are limited resources as community space increasing needs. You know, giving slowly continues to increase, but it largely goes to institutions. So they have the unenviable task of having to decide where the money goes to. Uh, and going back to how social change occurs in organizations that say have large chapters, uh, it goes to, you, know, you have a national chapter and then it goes to their larger chapters and the smaller chapters wind up falling short. Now that may be because the chapters feel that putting the spotlight or the megaphone on the larger groups amplifies that need because people then look and say, oh, there's this great problem with poverty or hunger or, or animal rescue. But what happens is the smaller chapters then sort of get marginalized. That's a really good point. So do you think there's an advantage of having independent nonprofits uh, rather than having these large national nonprofits with kind of smaller affiliates? Well, I think what happens with the smaller affiliates is they don't necessarily disappear, but then they roll into one another where you don't have, you have three or four state chapters sort of roll in like Idaho, Montana, Utah, sort of roll in together. Uh, MS is one that's done that. Lupus is another one that's done that. that form Southeast chapters. So it's just an interesting differentiation between independence versus national chapters. And is Pause for Life, uh, you know, like a regional or a national connected affiliate or is it completely independent? No, we're not completely independent. We're part of the Best Friends No Kill Utah Coalition. So okay. we're a coalition partner. Yeah, for the listener. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, we're part of a, a network of 56 other nonprofits that are part of No Kill Utah. So this As is a, just around the state? Correct, around the state. 56. Right. But they're also national. As a matter of fact, we're speaking at the national conference in July. I'm speaking with Justin had from Heber Valley Animal Services, which was kind of cool. Thank you. Wow. I was very pleased that they uh, invited us to do that. But uh, And it's here at the Salt Pal Palace in July, which is unusual because they're usually our West Coast, East Coast. So this is the first time here in Salt Lake. So that should be fun. Um, but yes, we're part of the No-Kill Coalition and um, for the state of Utah. And so every year we have meetings. We're actually having one locally here Saturday um, where we report on our statistics and how we're coming as a state. And those numbers have been continuously going down. Um, all of the different rescue organizations um, participate in that. We report our metrics monthly to Best Friends Animal Society, and they track that. Um, we help one another out. We, we affiliate with one another for anything from transports to food donations. Um, so you sounds like you collaborate quite a bit, but you're yes. still independent at the end of the day. You can yes. make decisions for correct. the local chapter. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, and that's really great, great segue into this idea of collective impact, right? It's kind of a buzzword. We've had many people on the show to talk about collective impact. And so um, obviously there, there's some differences of opinion what collective impact 
impact really is? What, how do you define it? Um, you're talking about collaboration and maybe you could extend that to say all these 56 affiliates are coming together to have a greater collective impact to deal with the issues you're talking about. So talk about that a little bit. What in your mind is collective impact? You can both speak to this. And um, why would you recommend doing that? Why is it so important to collaborate with 56 other affiliates? Well, it makes it a little bit easier because you have you have some economies of scale. I mean, you've got, you know, it's my understanding that that starts with the shared vision for the future and, 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 and easily defined in No-Kill Utah is the state of Utah becoming No-Kill. Um, in the Heber Valley, the same type of thing. It was uh, Pause for Life with the Heber City Council, with the County Council, with the Chief of Police, where the animal shelter runs to make that animal shelter no kill to pull a gas chamber out to show the community we don't do we don't euthanize animals there anymore so starting with that I'd say maybe collective consciousness or the end state um, is really important and then how the pieces fall together people kind of get it it makes it as long as that end state is clear it kind of, people get what they need to do so and that a shared mission a shared mission all kind of agreed this is where we're headed then that makes it much easier to work together. Correct. And I think Lisa is a part of it. you say? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think what Kathy is describing is how I see collective impact. You set a goal and then you <clears throat> create an environment to make that goal happen. Uh, you pull in infrastructure like government and you make you find the people that can create that infrastructure and, and hold it up, whether it be volunteers or staff. Um, and as Pause for Life did with making Heber Valley no kill. We worked with government, we worked with volunteers, we worked with donors, and just made that little bubble happen and then just make the bubble bigger and expand that outward to the state of Utah. That's excellent. Talk a little bit about that because you know people want when it comes to collective impact, you know, in a pure sense or just collaboration in a more general sense, people want success stories. Right. So tell us about some success stories, maybe not just Pause for Life, but other things you've seen in your own experience or in the state. Where have you seen some of this? success stories happening when it comes to either collaboration or collective impact? Well, obviously, I think the animal shelter was the big big one because, you know, we had national coverage from the Humane Society on that. Other animal rescue organizations throughout the country now are asking us, how did you do it? So we become a model for the rest of the country. Correct, like. correct. And as a matter of fact, that's what we're speaking about in July at the conference because there are things that were very critical. The leadership in the community was paramount. Um, the fact that we have devised an animal control board where we have city council or council people uh, represented in that uh, board and we meet quarterly so everybody there's no surprises and they understand what what, what our mission is um, those types of things are, are quite important I think other success stories that I'm really proud of and I'm proud to be part of this Utah rescue network because people um, through a lot of it actually through social networking and just con and just having contacts we help one another unconditionally it's it's, it's if we need an animal transported if somebody has an animal that needs has medical needs today with you know 100 50 pound bags of dog I think she has 150 50 pound bags of dog food anybody want it come and get it those types of things that um, that the different uh, animal rescue organizations are part of are pretty selfless and they and and they we, we work together and I'm really proud of that and, and, and this state in particular, we've got a lot of very uh, positive, uh, dedicated volunteers in our community. 
So. Excellent. And you know, as you've gone along, I'm sure you've had some challenges, maybe even challenges that have made you think about, well, is this really worth it? Is it really, you know, you maybe feel like giving up at times because there's not enough resources or the challenges are just too big. Talk about that because my guess is a lot of nonprofit leaders or those who are on board members or people are involved with nonprofits, you run into barriers, you run into struggles and you think, this is too much work, you know? So talk about that. How'd you, is there any challenge you want to speak to with Pause for Life or again, other experiences where you really had to overcome some difficult challenges and now the end result is fantastic as you actually plowed through and persevered. Well, I can speak to that. Um, some of the biggest challenges I have, and Lisa said, you know, earlier, it's important to have budgets and have planned, you know, uh, uh, expectations and follow those guidelines. And when you are, when you have multiple animals that get sick that you're trying to save that kind of blow those numbers out of the water and then you have to get creative about sourcing that that's huge and that makes you that's a very frustrating thing as far as growing in particular i can speak to our organization and again we're volunteers so right. it's sometimes it's a little like a little like herding cats once in a while okay <laughs> literally, but, right? yeah <laughs> literally and um and so when you're going through defining processes as, as a fast-paced growing organization, that's difficult. You know what you need to do, but you need the resources. And I don't mean just money. I'm talking about the talent. And whether it's from an IT perspective or a creative perspective or a marketing perspective, finding those t those people with those competencies to fill the void of and, and establish sound processes for what you need as a nonprofit, that's a real big challenge. Well, it's interesting. Even earlier, we were just talking about website, how important it is to have a good communication about your website and, and who you are as an organization. Well, a lot of people go online first before they ever walk in, quote, the doors of your organization. Right. So you're saying, again, key roles, having the best people you you can afford right. people that are really confident. It sounds like that's critical in your mind. Right. And we have a fantastic, diverse group of people that are behind our organization. Everything from the creative artists that did the far side, you know, illustrations to... Oh, is that uh, right on your team? Oh, yeah. He's, 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 our, he's, our, he's our marketing guy. I mean, he does all our creative fantastic. and he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. A great artist. Um, to uh, people that are extremely uh, uh, um, uh, detail-oriented with accounting and some of the details that we need with, with the animals and tracking their medicals and, I mean, their immunization schedules and things like that. So we've got a lot of administrative uh, people that are very strong to... Um, IT, you know, the guy that does our websites and our and uh, our website and most of our um, IT requirements. And we have a, a, an, a, a person that's very competent in our pet point. She does all our database administration. Those types of things you really need. You know you need it, but you need somebody that knows what they're doing exactly. to fill that. You know, so, the key. Yes, that's what right. What would you add, Lisa, to that, of just the, how you overcome these challenges? I think particularly in animal rescue, the people involved are very passionate and at the end of the day, passion doesn't pay your bills, but it, it, gets you, it gets you over the hump when you feel that, how am I gonna make this happen? How am I gonna get this done? Mm -hmm. So- I like that phrase, passion doesn't pay the bills. That is a great quote, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> but it's important, it's it essential, is. isn't it, right? Yeah, so. so it gets you, it gives you that little extra push to become creative in what you do and get maybe <clears throat> donors to understand that everything that they do really helps. I think one of the hardest things to do is get that donor who thinks that their $5 or their $10 doesn't make a difference. And in truth, we all know that, that every dollar does make a difference no matter what our organization does. So 
to help them get started to say that yes what you're doing does make a difference and your donation does help and that your giving should be bold and should be creative and should be joyous uh, help us and and we can help you and that even giving now even today for people has shifted somewhat and that if you're in development on, on our side of the line, if you're in development and if you're in donor retention, we're no longer just the pipeline for the ask. Um, where there's this call within a call for people to drill deeper as to, I mean, we know that people give because it makes them feel great and, you know, particularly sure. in Park City um, and they like to do it and they, it makes them feel happy, but there's this, this lower, this deeper level that, it's even beyond core values, and I'm not even sure that I'm explaining it well, but it, people give to animal rescue because they love animals, but it, they had animals as children, and they're empathetic, and they're these, these lower levels as you drill down, and that they may also... It's very self-motivated. It, it's coming from their heart. Right, it's coming from their heart, and that they may also have sort of these lateral moves in that they're involved in children's issues, and there, there are all these little spokes to the wheel, and that's what I'm trying to describe and doing a very poor job of no, it, this, okay. this call within a call. Mm -hmm. And we need as organizations to understand that and, mm -hmm. and help, them, help them understand why they're giving, and, and it helps us enrich as organizations. Mm -hmm. So say you've got students that uh, occasionally listen to this podcast, um, they're at the University of Utah, they're thinking about a nonprofit career, mm -hmm. and or they're maybe debating, do I really want to make it a career, or more just something that's a hobby, it's a fun thing. Mm -hmm. uh, speak to that, you know, why is it important in your mind that, uh, now obviously you've uh, advocated for a volunteer organization, mm -hmm. um, you've been involved where you've been paid to be a staff member of a nonprofit organization. Talk about, you know, there's kind of two different perspectives. What would you say to a student that uh, in their 20s, and why would they be important to be, number one, just involved in a nonprofit organization with their time and their money, et cetera, their passion, uh, and number two, maybe make it a career. Talk about those two things. Well, for me, um, I I gave money until I retired, and then once I had the time, then I give my time. Got it. Mm. It's a lot easier when I just gave money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're much more involved. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, great, I'm doing all this at the end of the day. But anyway, um, if, if, if it's something that balances you out. I was an executive in business, and so for me as a volunteer, and I was always on involved with animal rescue, and I was in the child crisis center as well. But uh, I was on the board of the Arizona Humane Society before I moved up up here, and. Um, for me, it's it's something that balances your life out. So if I was a student and I was thinking about why do I want to do this, find your passion. I mean, and it, it, it matters. Your your voice matters. Your actions matter. And particularly for me with Animal Rescue, where we really don't have a lot of lobbyists that are speaking for animals because they can't speak themselves, they need people like you as a student um, who, who's an, a, an advocate for whatever your cause is. Um, to me, that's what's important. And, and for people that are paid to do it, trust me, the Arizona Humane Society, they made a lot of money. It's not a lot, but they made enough money to, mm -hmm. but they brought in a lot and they saved a lot of animals. And, and so to me, that was important as well. I'm not advocating that everybody has to be Either a volunteer. Yeah, Correct, okay. absolutely. Mm -hmm. But follow your passion. It makes your life more valuable. It makes you wake up in the morning and really, you know, uh, love what you do. Um, follow your heart, mm -hmm. I guess I'd say to the student. You know, well it makes your life better. <laughs> I like it. Lisa, what would you add to that? 
Um, well, I agree. Whatever you do, I think you should love what you do, um, regardless of what sector you work in. Um, I think working in the nonprofit sector teaches you management skills and people skills that you won't get anywhere else. Um, I think in the for-profit sector, you largely don't work with the types of volunteers and the number of volunteers that you will work with in the nonprofit sector, and that's an entirely different subset of people skills. And everything that you learn in the nonprofit sector, you can then take into all areas of your life going forward. Well, that's a great way to end. I'd love to talk more, but we've run out of time. But so back to Pause for Life. If someone's interested in finding out more information or would like to volunteer, I'd like to give money, tell us where they can do that. They can contact us through our website, pflu.org. Uh, you'll find emails on there, nancy at pflu.org or jenny at pflu.org. Or our Facebook page is Pause for Life Utah. Those are the, our two primary areas that you can find us. We're on Twitter and Instagram too, but that, that's those are the, the, the areas that I, I would recommend to find us. PFLU.org and you have a phone number if they want to call you. Um, let's see, 435-640-4752. Uh, okay. Excellent. Great. Kathy Baruch, Lisa Allison, thank you so much for your time and your insight and your wisdom. It's been great having you on the show today. Okay, thank, thank you, you so much for having us. <laughs>